My name is Aditya Prakash, and you're listening to A Search for Identity and Beauty, an isolation podcast. So how do you feel today? How do you feel? You feel ready for this interview? You feel like you're going to say something profound? I think so. Like, I've been preparing for this moment my whole life. Okay, good. This is why you're born. Everything in my life has led to this moment. Good, 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 good. So today's episode is with my sister, Maitli. A lot of people think it must be easy for us to work together as artists because of our sibling relationship. And there is truth to that. There are aspects of that that make it easy and convenient to work together. But it's also complex and not always easy. I think the informality of our relationship is part of what makes the artist-sibling relationship complex. Because we do have a closeness in our personal lives. And sometimes that bleeds in when she gives me artistic feedback, which I seek in my professional life. And I realize I still carry over some of that informality. I didn't give it the same seriousness as I would from a teacher, a mentor, or a guru, just by the virtue of the fact that she's my sister. But yeah, that closeness was an advantage in working together as well because we had that direct and unfiltered access to our thoughts, feedback, and all of that was crucial to our artistic growth. So during COVID, during the lockdown, we were locked in together in our pod and I started working on isolation and she started working on She's Auspicious, which is her solo dance work. Um, And we were both witness to what was happening in our home countries, that's America and India. And we also started looking more in depth into the histories of the art forms we both practice from South India. Carnatic music for me and Bharatanatyam for her. So we were on a similar process with navigating our understanding of how Our lived experience, our upbringing, our learning of the art form is so closely tied to the socio-political world around us. We started watching more documentaries together, sharing articles, having more discussions about privilege, identity, representation, beauty norms, power structures, hypocrisy, calling out our own hypocrisy and biases. And this all bled into our artistic work. I co-composed the music on her work, She's Auspicious. She mentored me on isolation. But what made this process really special was the fact that the conversations we were having, they bled into the the kitchen table, um, in between TV commercials, in the backyard during a chai break. Shifting the emphasis from like beauty and harmony and celebration to also seeing art, having the purpose of like descent yeah or reflecting um reflecting that which is not so harmonious you know that was so different from what i had with my other mentors it was exciting to me because i had someone who was there who was so integrated into my process but we never actually thought about it as thinking about work because we were just excited to share the process together i guess i still do take for granted that might is my sister and We have this goofy, not always serious relationship. But in isolation, I really actually realized that she's not just my sister. She's my mentor. What she gave me in this album is a comprehensive involvement that really shapes so much of the music.
I think because Mightley had a seniority in terms of not only artistic practice, but age. She's six years elder to me. I was so used to seeing her finished product and her conviction in her artistic search and a conviction in her identity stand out. And that conviction and clarity in artistic identity is something that I struggled with and I was searching for, but I felt it came way easily to her. So I was a bit surprised to hear her answer to my first question in our talk. We grew up in a similar cultural environment and atmosphere. Do you feel that like feeling othered or wanting this idea of wanting to fit in has played a part in your artistic journey? Mm-hmm. Like definitely. <laughs> yeah. This one word answer is not yes. a multiple choice. Yes. Um, yeah, definitely. I feel like the desire to be understood, the desire to be accessible, like those have definitely definitely colored my journey um how so because i didn't i didn't think that honestly you didn't why do you think that's not been a concern of mine i guess i associate it with like this idea of cross-cultural work to be understood right Mm. and you you kind of stay away from that you don't really do that Mm. and that's like something mom did something i do Mm. i mean that's it's a it's a sub reason for why why we do those things is this idea of wanting to be understood by I feel like you've been quote unquote traditional purist. Mm. You mean because of like the topics of my exploration? The topics, you don't really experiment with other, bringing in other art forms. I have though. Like, like I what? feel like your idea of me is maybe in the last 10 years or something. Like I did a lot of crossover, or not crossover, yeah, I did a lot of interaction with like tap, flamenco. Middle Eastern dancing. Why don't I remember any of this? Yeah, because, I mean, you were younger. I don't think that any of it was really like, okay, I'm really interested in, like, seeing where this goes. I think it was just kind of, like, the thing to do. Mm. You know, there'd be, like, World Music Festival or, like, some potential. It was kind of more, like, ticking a box to Mm. say, like, okay, I'm going to do this collaboration. It's interesting. I think when you say that, I realize maybe it's because in terms of content, like mom would do Cinderella or she'd take like Imagine by, you know, whatever, John Lennon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she did that, I remember that. Yeah, so stuff like that. And that wasn't really of interest to me because for me it was like, I felt interested in like our cultural stories and like I felt, in- those are the things that I grew up with, mm-hmm. but I wanted to make those things accessible, mm. you know? Mm. And maybe also because I was getting the Cinderella and the Nutcracker and all that stuff already. From mom, yeah. so it was important to. But I feel like, yeah, I wanted to be, I wanted to be interested. I wanted my friends to be interested in my work. Yeah, and I kind of like signed off on that for a while, being like, eh, they're not going to really get it. Yeah, that's you how know? I felt too. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and so like actually for for me now, I feel like it's a new phase where I'm able to go to lunch with people, or like I was on a wine tasting trip in Italy with like you know Savita mm. and her friends and like our college friends, and mm-hmm. I was able to talk about my work and like how it connected to like politics and society. And like, I didn't feel like I was making it accessible to them. I was just talking and it felt like connected to people's experiences Mm. and connected. And so that's, it's been a shift and it's been different and it feels good. But I think that there's a lot that went into like the wanting to be accessible. I don't know if the making it accessible to my friends was right off the bat because I just kind of, signed off on that mm-hmm. but making it accessible to audiences was definitely like important when you mean audience you mean western audiences specifically yeah yeah audiences in america i think what's interesting is like 
you know, in the last two or th- whatever, not two, three, three, four years when we, I think both of us have really been kind of looking at the history of, of our forms. Yeah. Suddenly I started to see the problem with that desire to universalize because a lot of that includes er- erasure of details yeah. and erasure of yeah. like cultural specificity. Mm-hmm. And I would always talk about this idea of like, oh, it's universal. It's universal, yeah, you yeah, know? Yeah. And so I, then that's when I became aware of like, oh my God, like this desire to make things universal has right. completely. But doesn't that happen anywhere? Like when, when India, when India views America, it's still a very monotone version of them. Any, anytime you view something from the outside, it's always like a homogenous, like this is that, this yeah. is that. And yeah. so there's so much information we're getting. How can we hear so many details about so many things? It's just like overwhelming. So. I think I think part of it is trying not to is not bothering to explain things. I think is going into the specificity of our experiences through the specific you get to the universal through the spe- mm. through the specificity of your human experience or a personal experience. Yeah, like then you that's when you access the universal because people relate to the details. Yeah, you know. So I think that's part part of like the work now that I'm interested in exploring is like the micro detailing of things. People can access that. That's interesting. Yeah, I feel like even when I like played isolation to some of my friends who are like who heard my ensemble and who likes that world, mm-hmm. they actually said they they feel like this feels like more authentic, mm. which is interesting. I play I played them probably the most Carnatic sounding track of them oh, all, really? isolation, oh. and yeah, I guess there's something about not trying to be universal mm-hmm. that when you're just yourself, mm-hmm. it kind of hits that mm-hmm. spot. That's interesting. I know. I feel like that's something like I've also started caring less now is like trying to be something. And just like embracing more who I feel like I am right now. Yeah. And I think in that there's an honesty and there's like a rawness. And I see it in, I appreciate it when I see in other people, a rawnesty. There's yeah. a rawnesty. Yeah. And like, and I feel like that, you connect to that. I mm. connect to that when I see it in other people. Mm. And I feel more authentically me when I don't, when I feel like I can just do that myself. And I feel people connect to me more. But how do you, well. how do you negotiate like, because we are sharing our, our work with people who probably don't know a thing about any of the, the background behind what we're doing. And mm-hmm. there's so much backstory to what we're doing. How do you personally negotiate? Do you completely not explain anything? How do you find that balance? Because that's something I, I'm always struggling with. How much do I say? I don't want to explain. I just want to mm-hmm. be able to just sing and you get it. But like, mm-hmm. I also don't want people to be left in the dark mm-hmm. either. Mm-hmm. How do you negotiate that so uh, what i'm learning more and more is that people have varying levels of how much information they want to be given some people want to come in completely blind and make make what they want of it some mm-hmm. people want a lot of backstory yeah. so no matter what you're not you're never going to do the right thing mm-hmm. i think what i've learned a lot from akram actually is this idea of like trust yourself mm-hmm. and the mm-hmm. power of your craft and your art and your practice yeah. and also the power of feeling because like I remember when we were in we were in rehearsal for Outwitting the Devil, somebody watched it like in the studio and they said they felt like they got hit in the gut mm. 
Mm-hmm. And then that, like, they couldn't make sense of anything, but mm. that feeling, that visceral feeling of getting hit in the gut stayed with them. And then it, like, you know, over the next few days or whatever, it kind of rose and you started thinking about it and yeah. making sense yeah. of it. And so then it went to the head. Mm. And, like, that really stayed with me. And now I've heard Akram actually talk about that, too. Yeah. And it is, it's like that thing of, can you feel, and it's interesting. I'm sorry, I might go off, like, on a tangent a bit, but I'll okay, come we'll back. Okay, we'll edit you. We'll edit you. You can out. edit. <laughs> <laughs> Rawnest. Um, but no, I was talking to a presenter actually this a few days ago, and he was saying, um, like, because we were talking about how you can't even really say what is good dancing or what is good art. Like, you can't, there's no mm. barometers because for Bharatanatyam, for example, we can't say what is good Bharatanatyam. The itself has changed and is constantly changing, you know? So <clears throat> that idea of good or is very hard, but he said, but what about you just say, do you, does it make you feel something, right? And that 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 means it, you don't have to be a dance audience to feel something. You don't have to be well versed. You don't have to really have context. You don't. You know, like, do you feel something? This part of the conversation is important in understanding how I've changed and how I've how that change is manifested in isolation. This album, feeling is the core of our human experience and. The intellectual parts and explanations always come after that. But I realize in the old me, pre-isolation me, I noticed this trend in me to prioritize clever ideas and things that I found interesting intellectually above raw emotion. I think this is also my condition in coming from the quote-unquote classical world, where intellectualism is a priority. This idea of the emotional gut punch through art, I really felt for the first time when I watched Akram Khan when I watched his work. And his mentorship and guidance over the last five years has really gone into my work now and Mike Lee's work as well. In this episode, you'll hear her refer to Outwitting the Devil, which is a production of Akram Khan's in which she was dancing and was a part of. And that really changed her and her process as well. So I'd like to think of isolation as my emotional gut punch. But then again, I do feel that pressure to explain intellectually what I'm doing in order to be successful in this world as an artist. The more clever you pitch an idea, the more likely someone is going to bite on it, right? I can't just tell someone, just listen to the song and you'll feel something. I have to hook them in. And so I was talking to Mike Lee about that and how I feel stuck and frustrated with this need to explain myself. I think maybe it's the framing. Maybe if we don't think of it as like having to explain ourselves, but we think of like holding their hand and taking into the taking them into the room with us to like yeah. reveal something, yeah. you know? Yeah. I think that if we reframe how we perceive it, yeah. then we'd reframe how we do it. Yeah. Um and I think that those become fun things to play with like, you know, in the piece that we did poo-poo, like the storytelling, people are not going to not going to know the story. Like you need to know mm-hmm. the story. So then is there a fun way to communicate the story? Yeah. Is it a way to communicate the story that also shares something about me or something about us or something yeah. about the way we've learned the story, you know? So then it becomes like fun and, and part of the creative process itself rather than be like, mm-hmm. okay, I'm going to tell you a story so you understand everything I'm saying. Yeah. I feel like a metaphor I can think of is like you inviting people into your room mm-hmm. where everything is 
Like this is your space. Mm-hmm. You're comfortable mm-hmm. versus you going into their room and trying to use whatever's there to like tell them, oh, this is kind of like this object in my room. Yeah. So yeah. That's, that's a really good example. Yeah. As I mentioned in the beginning of this episode, it's been really special to share a parallel journey with Mikey. To share a similar search and to share these amazing discoveries that come along the way. The search for redefining beauty is one of the central themes of isolation and she's auspicious and also this podcast series. So it's only natural for me to ask her what beauty means to her now after all this search and discovery. I mean, as you know, because we've been on a parallel journey, mm-hmm. and like sometimes on a journey together, this is something I've been thinking about a lot because the idea of beauty is like a big word in the art form that I practiced and in part of being a woman. Like mm-hmm. we are constantly striving to be beautiful. Mm-hmm. And I think that that, become, that word has like feels like it's become almost like a weight mm. and like an effort. And I think part of my like journey to honesty <laughs> is honestly just like, a feeling of liberation um, because there, and, and like this whole thing we're talking about, about the real, like I'm finding more and more beauty in things that are real and things that are not manufactured or not manipulated. Mm-hmm. And part of it is because so much, so much of my life, my idea of beauty is things that are manufactured or manipulated. When I see like, just take physical beauty, for example, like, my cons what i'm attracted to like even in the way a woman looks her body her hair her face her features the way she dresses it's very manufactured and very put together in a way that's almost specific to like la and hollywood Mm -hmm. you know and i see how much of that is like the cultural imprinting and right now i feel like i'm in a space where i'm fighting that it's interesting because i feel that tension of what is beautiful to me mm. because on one hand I feel the I feel the conditioning I feel the conditioning in what I feel find attractive and on the other hand I'm fighting that because I see the problems in that you know and being a mom and and having a child and not wanting her to feel that mm. like sometimes I feel like beauty is like working like I'm like working to find the beauty and imperfection I think right now at this point in time if you were to ask me what is beauty I'd say it's something that feels real whether like whether that's art and I feel like I'm watching somebody who is not performing to me people Mm. who just feel like authentically themselves who don't feel like they're putting something on or like trying to seduce you or charm you yeah um and oftentimes that is like I'm starting to connect that with imperfection yeah because imperfection is so much like craft and thought and like manipulation and like Imperfection is craft and thought? No, perfection. Perfection. Yeah, and imperfection is just like what is. beauty has always been a conflict because I was always like drawn to or attracted to the dancers who had quirks who like kind of smiled funnier they like did a weird you know like Mm -hmm. they like did weird things with their body had weird things that like didn't seem prototypically better than actium but like it was so them and I would enjoy watching them Mm -hmm. but on me like I hated my quirks I wanted to be like have perfect lines like move Mm. the way that I saw was like clean better than actium you know so I don't know where is that temperament is that like 
conditioning is part of if i grew up somewhere besides la i but, don't know but your your idea of that perfection was something that existed within india kalakshetra no yeah like those straight lines so yeah. why, why is it la that's like, true because and, and the fact that for mom that was not her aesthetic yeah but i was still drawn to that aesthetic yeah so i wonder where that comes from mike lee's dance journey has always been intertwined with our mom because our mom was her first dance guru so anytime Maitli had dance ideas or was working on productions, she would turn to our mom. Because I was younger and I wasn't a dancer, although technically I did learn dance, but I don't think anybody would want to see that and I'm trying to erase it from my memory. Um, but because of this, I didn't come into the artistic equation with them until much later when I started creating work of my own and I started sharing with them and we started having discussions openly at home. That's when Maithi and I realized the way we looked at art was different from our mom. So we felt there was this sort of generational gap. Our conversations would often lead to debate and sometimes heated arguments because of how openly we would critique each other's work. Then there was a period when we traveled a lot for tours and we were just kind of doing our own artistic things and we stopped sharing our work with our mom as much. But during COVID, we all came back together and started sharing artistic ideas and work more openly again. Both Maithli and I were turning back to our mom again. I noticed you're coming, like, there was a period where, like, everything mom did was, I don't want to do that. It's like, mm-hmm. I want to stay far away from that. And now, like, it's nice to hear you acknowledge that and come mm-hmm. back to, like, seeing the beauty in, in her craziness mm-hmm. and her ex- eccentricities. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Why, it, what is making you come full circle back to that now at this point in your life? I think it's like that searching for the real. We were never told like look beautiful or like dance or smile this way mm-hmm. or like like I never really actually associated beauty with Bharatanatyam like growing up. And I remember yeah. when it was just about like challenging yourself. You know, she'd make us do really hard fast shit, you know, mm-hmm. like nothing more power. More power in the step. The floor should be rocking with your for me dance was always like challenging yourself or doing even 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 emotionally like she'd give pieces i remember this one piece which the the sing the devotee is saying to the goddess am i just a doll for you to play with and there was like so much angst in that piece that she taught me when i was like 13 mm. and i could really pour my soul into that and like i would i would cry every time i dance it and like so dance was about be- like pain i mean i say beauty but like in a different way, not like a, I am a beautiful doll that looks like this and when yeah. I dance. And then I remember when I moved to India and I saw people who looked like beautiful dolls when they danced. And I was like, oh my God, I was so taken by that because I yeah. didn't realize that it was like a perfection that I'd never experienced before. Yeah. So then I got so taken by that. Yeah. And then like I think that started disturbing me and I'm like, ah, like it doesn't feel real. It feels so fake and like put on and like mm. performed, you know? It's so interesting that we went through the same feeling, feelings of beauty. And hers was through dance and mine was through music. And I saw 
so many problems in the way I I thought beautiful music should be. You know, it was it was kind of this very one-sided, clean, pretty sound. And I think once I saw the problem of that, it actually disturbed me. Like like she talked about, it was disturbing. And I think isolation was a response to being disturbed by my own choices, my own decisions, and my own ideas of beauty. So when I was working on isolation with you, there was this idea of giving me tasks mm-hmm. in the initial cre- creations of the songs. Like the idea of the task was to get me to a certain physical threshold so I could get into this emotional state from a real place, you know, not like an acted place. Mm-hmm. Like, for instance, I remember uh, I would give myself these tasks of singing as long as I could without taking a breath, like in the song 3AM, mm-hmm. or towing the line with my voice as it transitions between speaking voice to singing voice to shouting mm-hmm. um, in the song Insurgents. Um, is this something that you do in dance when you create your inner dialogue when in character? Yeah, you create a structure that allows you to f- enter that state of feeling. Right. Like for me in, in She's Auspicious, it's like a, I've created the structure of the movement so that it builds a certain momentum in me. So emotionally, I'm in a state of kind of euphoria. Mm-hmm. And it's easy to turn that euphoria into a state of madness mm-hmm. and like anger and desperation. So I never, there's that one moment where I'm like with the child, like almost killing my child. Yeah. And it's never, act, I never feel like I'm acting. And it's because the structure has, and that's something I think from Akram is like creating, like physically embodying something that leads to an emotional state. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And for me, the song, that song was Insurgents. And I remember you pushed me to become the dictator. It was just intellectual until you pushed me to that threshold of feeling like I was Mm. the dictator Mm. as I recorded the song. And I think all musicians should have mentors who are outside music too yeah in theater or dance i think having akram and you as my mentors was crucial in me getting to a space of embodying emotion rather than enacting emotion yeah i mean even for you like when you were making gasp or whatever right Mm -hmm. like i remember when you told me this is a long time ago but do you remember you said you had gone for a competition where tm krishna was a judge you didn't know him well like you were a lot younger and then he just told you, okay, sing Swatams, but don't leave any any gaps. Yeah, yeah. And so, like, just that idea, like, t- tasks like that. Then when you were doing gasp, or you were setting a timer where you couldn't, like, it's, again, pushing yourself to a threshold. Yeah. So then you're getting to a state of something that's, like, that's, like, a real feeling rather than you creating an embe- a beautiful experience or an embellished yeah. experience, you know? And there's that risk of that, that creation being very flawed. Are you sounding, really, yeah. like not nice yeah but there's risk but you are you're you are you are serving the task right Mm. so then you're serving something because we always need to serve something otherwise we don't have anything to hold on to but like i think previously we're used to serving beauty or serving an image of something we think perfection yeah we're used to serving perfection and suddenly when you take away that and you serve something else Mm. like serve not breathing (laughs) yeah yeah yeah. you know then it's like interesting to see what the outcome is so i think that's where that whole idea of tasks Mm. is interesting are there any any moments from the process of working with me on isolation that stand out to you 
I feel like for me, seeing how like seeing your transformation in terms of what you wanted from for from yourself from the beginning to the end has been really interesting to me. I think in the beginning it was product focused. Like it was like, okay, I want it to sound like this, and this is cool. And you know, look, if I play a cool, if I play a cool beat over a cool sound. And then like the idea of a narrative was being like kind of stuck on it. Like, mm. okay, I'm going to use these chants because like they're familiar and you know, it sounds cool with the Murdangam. Mm-hmm. So it was about sounding cool, mm. you know? Mm-hmm. And I think then later it became about your journey and about pushing yourself and seeing where that takes you. Oh. And I think that that also like this pressure to be a musician that delivers a certain kind of product, I think, has changed and of course those pressures are still there yeah but it's more about hey guys like this is what i made yeah and like if you want it then here it is rather than like okay i'm gonna make this and like you're gonna think it's cool because i really need to make cool things well that's because of you you Mm, thanks (laughs) now you're like extra giving me credit (laughs) no no it is i mean you really pushed me to like get out of my habits and my Mm. those habitual thought patterns and musical patterns and that was important yeah so it's true um anyways i want to ask you one more thing uh about the process of outwitting the devil so for the process of that you are the only bartanatim dancer is how many contemporary dancers mm, there's six total so five. yeah i guess five others five um so since your style was so starkly different from them Number one, did you feel really out of place? Yes. Hmm. <laughs> How so? <laughs> <laughs> um, like I felt really like limited, you know, because mm. contemporary dancers, for them, their body, like things like flexibility, things like, um, there's so much structure to our form, to what we do with our body, to what we, and, and it's not really impressive in the way that, contemporary dancers are you know it's Mm. funny like Rumi said to me she saw our last show Mm -hmm. and then she like kind of whispered to me she's like you weren't that you're not that interesting (laughs) yeah and I was like what do you mean and she's like yeah like you're just couldn't you do more flexible things like everyone else was doing such flexible things and like you know and like that is how I felt through most of the process I'm just like these people are amazing beasts who can do crazy things with their body. Like, why am I here? Right, right. You know, and there's nothing like, I can't try to do any of that. I'm not trained in that, nor is my body even like flexible or like, you know, kind of like, I don't ha- naturally have those abilities anyways. So much of my Bharatanatyam journey has been about like making the most of my limitations, you know? Yeah. And so, yeah, the process was hard for me and we were taking, I was taking ballet classes as part of the training and that was injuring my body. It was hard. It's, it's really hard to be like in a room as a professional having trained for 30 years in something and then yeah. feeling like absolute shit all the time. Right. You know? And did you ever question the relevance of Bharatanatyam? Yeah, I did. I just was like, I questioned like the interestingness. Again, I felt so like, brown and like you know just like yeah. oh i'm so like w- like my work is my form so is so specific yeah exactly yeah. i was like what it how how do people connect to this you know yeah. and like luckily i was in a piece with akram where he believes in the specificity of the forum and like yeah. he, you know and 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 he was finding ways to like bring me into it you know yeah 
but it was interesting because like I think what I felt was and what like and I think this is based on what people said to me so of course I'm hoping they meant what they were saying but there was a sense of like presence that they felt from me mm. and that was almost kind of my role in the show was to be somebody with presence because that's like the go- goddess nature, Kali, whatever, you know? And there was something about that that I think the art form carries with it is like a presence mm. um, and a power just like in that. I guess it's like a heightened, it's like a s- certain like heightened state, right? Yeah. But what Akram did was he put everybody in that heightened state. So there was very little pedestrian in the show everybody had to be in a heightened state to sort of match mine you know otherwise if everyone's theatrical and then like or you know kind of walking around like doing whatever and i'm like always you know it would look very disconnected disconnected so i think his whole thing was really to find a way to make me part of that world or make make them them part of my world yeah it's bringing them into your which is nice right now every time we see cross-cultural things you see such a stark contrast it's like slapping on this indian or south asian experience this color to something western you just know it's just like placing them side by side yeah and how do you bring one into the other yeah yeah for me outwitting the devil was a huge learning lesson because Mm. it was like i really felt my handicaps and i learned a lot about the subtlety of the power of the form you know, like, it's funny. Yeah. Our dad would always say how, like, he played the role of Chanakya in some play. <laughs> and he just had to walk across the stage and, like, say uh, some stupid line. We for victory. <laughs> victory, victory at, at all, all costs. costs. <laughs> but it's like, you always hear that story, right? I'd hear about this Kalakshetra performer who would just walk across the stage and she'd be like, you know, like, make an impact or something. You know, and so it's like, there's something about the power of simplicity mm-hmm. and the power of presence and the power of doing simple things that I think... Outwitting the devil made me see. Yeah. You know? Even working on Xenos made me see. Really? Like just like the simplicity there we forget about simplicity, I think, mm-hmm. in 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 Carnatic music and mm-hmm. same with Bharatanatyam. Everything is about filling, filling, mm-hmm. filling, filling, virtuosity, virtuosity. Mm-hmm. But just holding a note or just like bending the note so slightly. Mm-hmm. And I think, yeah, I mean, obviously people like Akram and TM Krishna who mm-hmm. does that as well. Mm-hmm. Those that exposure to that just makes you feel like, why why do we love to pack so much shit in? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, like there's a constant in it. That, again, that comes back to the desire to perform, like the need to be impressive. Yeah, like that's yeah. what I felt like I had to kind of like I had to unpack myself from the need to be impressive because I wasn't impressive. <laughs> you yeah, know what yeah. I mean? You know, yeah. so I had to kind of trust this the sim- the power of simplicity and like the whole piece. I remember. Um, I sent like I saw this piece with like kind of a rotating movement and so I made this choreography that moved from moving very minutely to then like rotating a little bigger and then ending in this massive rotation mm-hmm. and it was such a simple but it was just the idea of rotating I took it and I expanded it yeah. and then I just sent a video to Akram it was like a six minute video yeah. and he was like this is the ending of the piece you know oh. so it just ends with me like rotating very slowly and it's so funny because it's really such a simple movement yeah but it's like that ending stays with people and they say it's just like wow we feel like we're like in another cosmos or something you know yeah it's so interesting and it's interesting because it's it like and what's beautiful about that is like i when i'm doing it i feel that i really feel like I am making the world go around. Yeah. And it, I don't have to do anything crazy with my body, but I have to believe what I'm doing and I have to feel it. 
And I think that's where like we come back to this thing of beauty and like what's real. And mm-hmm. what I've taken, what I've started taking trust in is like if you can feel something, then it'll communicate. And like how beautiful is that? Yeah. Right? Yeah. You don't need to you try. Don't need to do much. You don't need to do anything. You just feel it and believe it. And that's enough. Thank you for listening. This podcast was produced by Sushma Soma and myself. And the music you're hearing in this episode is from my album Isolation, music that I've also recorded from my mother's dance performances, music from Vincenzo Lamagna's score for Outwitting the Devil, and music from Mightley's solo dance work, She's Auspicious, for which I co-composed the score. <laughs>